Hey, it's good to see you this morning. I'm excited to be in service with you. If I haven't had an opportunity to meet you, I'm Austin. I'm the pastor here. And we are in week number two of our series, Reset, where we're talking about how Christ wants to come in and reset our lives, give us a new beginning. And I set this up last week talking about how when many of us were growing up, we played the old school Nintendo, and it had the best button in the world on the front of the Nintendo, which was what? The reset button. So if you were losing, you could just reach and hit that reset button and start over again. And spiritually speaking, that's what Christ wants to do in our own lives. Now, to set this up a little bit this morning, I want to ask you a question. How many of you have ever been laying in bed, you're trying to go to sleep, you know that you have like six hours before you have to wake up, and for whatever stupid reason, you check your phone one last time, you get on Facebook, and then you start watching videos on Facebook for the next half hour. How many of you have ever done that, or is it just me? Yes. It is a common thing. Thing that we all do, and one of the things that consistently pops up in my Facebook feed are these videos that teach you different hacks on how to make your life easier. And there's just hours and hours of these stupid videos, and I think to myself, who has time to figure this out? Now, some of them, admittedly, are helpful. You know, I didn't realize that you can take, you know, fingernail polish remover because I don't wear fingernail polish, and I didn't realize that you could clean your shoes with the fingernail polish remover. I didn't realize that you could hide money in chapstick. I don't have this much time to figure these things out. Now, some of these are good. Some of these are rather stupid. Like this morning, I saw one with an advertisement of a lady teaching you how to trim your eyebrows with a straight razor blade. She literally has the picture of the razor blade right next to her eye. Now, what could possibly go wrong with that? You know? It's allergy season, people. You have one bad sneeze, you're wearing an eye patch for the rest of your life. We call you lucky and have to get you a, you know, a parrot for your shoulder, right? So some of these hacks seem like a good idea. Some of them are a bad idea. Now, what's always interesting to me is that if people are making hours of these videos, that must mean that there are a lot of us watching these videos. And I can only imagine that we're watching those videos looking for little things that might make our life easier. And it's amazing to me how we are looking for a hack for literally every single area of our life so that we can make things smoother, we can make things easier. We're always looking for the shortcuts in life. But here's the thing I want you to catch this morning. There is no hack for our spiritual life. Instead, all of us need a reset. Now, last week we looked at a man by the name of Nicodemus, and he's in John chapter number three, and he needed a reset in his life because he was a man who had lived a very religious life. He had followed the law of God to the letter, and yet he was still feeling empty on the inside. He had tried to be the good man, and yet he was still void on the inside. Today, we're going to be in John chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at a woman who is nameless, yet she had lived a completely different lifestyle. She had lived a very sensual lifestyle where, where Nicodemus tried to follow all the rules. This woman lived free, and she lived loose, and she tried to find everything that she could to bring her pleasure, and yet... The results were the same. She too still had a longing inside of her heart, and she needed a spiritual rebirth. She needed a reset. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter number four. Just to kind of warn you this morning, we have a lot of scripture to read because I want to see. I want you to see the whole the whole story in context this morning. So we're going to be reading, starting in verse number one of John chapter number four. Here's what the scripture says. 
Now, when Jesus had learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. And, he had, and so he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, and here was the field of Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samarians. So Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. And the woman said to her, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, and we've drank from it, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will come up from him a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me some of this water so that I will not be thirsty again and have to come here to draw water from the well. Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come here. And the woman said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband. You have had five husbands, and the one you are with now is not your husband. You have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking to a woman. But no one said to him, what do you seek? And why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar and went away and came into the town and said to the people, come see the man who told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Christ who went out? of the town, and we're coming to him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word this morning. Lord, let it come alive to us. Let it speak to us. Lord, just as you spoke to this woman and her heart came alive in this moment, I pray that our hearts come alive this morning as we see how we need to reset in you. Lord, you can give us living water. You can well up inside of us. And Lord, I pray that would be our testimony today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this morning... I just read to you absolutely a mountain of scripture, but I did that so that we could see everything in context today. What is going on? We need to understand something about this conversation right from the beginning. It would be odd for Jesus to have a conversation with a Samaritan woman. Samaria and, and Israel were one nation. However, several hundred years before this, there was a rift between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. In fact, in 722 BC, the northern kingdom was in 
invaded by the Assyrians, and they captured many Jews and took them into captivity. Why is that important? Well, when the captives came back, the Assyrians came with them, and they started to intermarry with the Jewish people, and they led to Jews into idol worship. So the Jews and the Sumerians absolutely hated one another. I want you to imagine uh, North Amer- the, the, the North and the South right after the Civil War. That was a lot like what this was like. There was no love lost between these two groups of people. And what the Bible tells us is that Jesus was on a journey and he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through this part of the country. Now, why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? Probably, first, because it was a shorter trip. And second, Jesus being Jesus knew that there was a woman there whom he had to talk to. He was on a rescue mission. He knew that there was a lady there that needed living water coming from her life. Now, his disciples might not have wanted to go through Samaria. They might have been willing to walk around to avoid these people, but Jesus was not willing to make that compromise. He's not a respecter of persons. It doesn't matter what's in our past. It doesn't matter what we've done. Jesus is on a rescue mission for every single one of us, and he wants to give us, all of us, living water. So when he gets to this town in Samaria, he comes across a water well, and he's tired from his journey, so he sits down. The disciples go into town to buy some food. And while he's sitting there, there is, in the middle of the afternoon, this woman who comes to draw water. Now, if you know anything about this time, it would be unusual for a woman to draw water in the middle of the afternoon because it's hot. There's a lot of heat, and it's beating down upon them. And so they drew water in the morning or in the evening. But this woman was an outcast, and she had lived a rough life, and she was not willing to deal with the looks of people, the whispers anymore, or the judgment. She wanted to get her water when no one else was there because she wanted to do it in isolation and seclusion. In fact, we don't even know the name of this woman. But this day, when she showed up at the water well, there was something different. Jesus was there sitting with her. And when he encounters her, he asks her for a drink of water. And this woman is astonished. Jewish men do not speak to Samarians, let alone to Samarian women. And she's both. And so she asked him, why would you ask me for a drink of water? And Jesus said, if you knew who was asking you for water, you would ask him for living water. That's kind of an interesting statement to make. And we could put ourselves in the shoes of this woman. She doesn't understand this statement. And why should she? She doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. Now, obviously, from this story, Jesus is not talking about H2O. He's, he's talking about spiritual, life-giving water. So when Jesus offered this woman the water, she doesn't understand his saying. And she thought that he was maybe offering her water that she would never have to to drink any other water. She'd never be thirsty again. She thought that Jesus was offering her a hack so she didn't have to come draw water anymore from the well. If he gives me this water, then I don't have to come out here in the middle of the afternoon in the heat. If he gives me this water, then I don't have to face my peers. This is something that sounds good to me that I need. She was missing the truth that Jesus was trying to give her. Now, Jesus' words are the same to you and to me. We need living water. 
In fact, this is the big idea from the message today. We need to taste this refreshing living water that only comes from Jesus. Now, you and I will also struggle to understand this big idea today. Just as this woman didn't grasp what Jesus was trying to say to her, you and I will also grasp the understanding of living water. In fact, I imagine as I say that, that you need living water and I need living water, you might say to yourself, what does the spiritual truth have to do with my life. It seems so unrelevant to everything that I go through on a day-to-day life. We need living water? What does that even mean? One of the frustrating things about going to church is sometimes we use Christianese sayings that don't necessarily apply to our own life. Come on, am I the only one? Am I the only one set through church and I've heard the preacher say, you need Jesus? And I'm thinking, well, I need Jesus to show up today because I got bills to pay, Right? I need Jesus to show up today because Cherry and I argued before we got in the car, and I have to phase her when I get home. Amen? Is that just me? Like, I know we need Jesus. She needs Jesus. I'm fine, but she needs Jesus. I'm so glad the women are going on the float trip after this. See, that wasn't even in my notes. And I have to steer off, off the notes, get myself in trouble. Now I have to wait up for him to come home, apologize. Par for the course. Many of us would say, don't give me spiritual mumbo jumbo. I got problems in life. I have bills to pay. The marriage is on the rocks. I've been struggling with my self-worth. I don't sleep well at night. I got back pain because I coughed too hard. I have problems. (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't help myself. (laughs) Give me some hacks for the problem. Make the problem easier. Make the problem better. We're like this woman. She says, Jesus, give me that water so I don't have to come back to the well every day. And so too, we look at Jesus and say, fix my problems. I want to make it easier. And I suspect that a lot of us have that same desire in our own heart because millions of self-help books are sold every year. But here's what I want you to see. Jesus never gives us any hacks. He gives us a cure. Jesus never gives us hacks. He gives us a cure. The cure for our problems is not advice. The cure for our problems is not stuff. It's not a life coach. The cure for our problems is living water. And that living water is Jesus himself. Within this passage, Jesus starts to tell this woman why she needs him. And in the process, shows her the cure that she needs. Let me show these to you very quickly. First thing we need to see is this. We have a gift that we cannot identify. Verse number 10, Jesus said this to her. If you knew the gift of God and who it was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would have given you living water. Now, this woman had been practicing self-medication for obviously decades in her life. We see a little later in this passage that this woman had been married five times and now the man she's living with is not even her husband. Now, the question is this, in this culture where only husbands could divorce wives, Was this woman consistently picking bad men who took her home for a while and then got rid of her? Or was she chronically antagonizing them where they finally got tired and divorced her? It doesn't really matter. It could be a little bit of both. But here's the reality is that she consistently kept running to men looking for something to fill this hole in her heart. And the reality is you and I will always struggle with self-medication. We try different things. We go from one thing to the next to find our joy, our happiness. But that self-medication, Medication always leaves us to be addicts. 
The more self-medication we apply to our life, the more addicted we get to that self-medication. All of us have to ask ourselves, what do we try to medicate ourselves with? Is it substances? Is it shopping? Is it love? Is it church work? Some of us get addicted to the things in church looking for that self-medication. Often, the medicated things that we use are healthy things that are used in an unhealthy manner. We've used these things in our life, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with them themselves, but over time, we sort of get addicted to it. It's like going to the back surgeon and having back surgery. They give you pain pills. If you're not careful, you can get addicted to it. There's nothing wrong with it on the front side, but after a while, it starts to get a hook inside of our hearts. And that's exactly what happens with so many things. We self-medicate and we get blinded along the way. See, that's the thing that happened to this woman. She was self-medicating and that self-medication blinded her to the gift that was right in front of her. You know, drug addicts can't see the loved ones that are in front of them trying to rescue them. Porn addicts can't see the spouse that loves them right in front of them. And neither could this Samaritan woman see the gift of Jesus Christ sitting inside of her and in front of her. This woman desired love and acceptance, and yet this medication of men, quote-unquote, left her wanting more. Now, what's really interesting about this scene in the Bible where Jesus is sitting on the well is that this is what's called a bridegroom scene. We see this over and over again in Scripture where, for whatever reason, husbands and wives tend to meet each other at a well. I mean, Abraham's servant found Isaac's wife, Rebekah, at a well. Jacob and Rachel met at a well. Moses and his wife met at a well. And the scripture calls Jesus the bridegroom. Now, this is a really interesting thing to me. This woman who's been married five times, looking for men after men after men, meets her real bridegroom, the person who came to save her soul at a well. She's been sitting here, coming day after day, but this day was different because her bridegroom was there. Jesus created her. He was her her God. He was the gift to help her life. Now listen, sometimes it's hard to see the good things that are sitting right in front of you. Jesus starts to break down these walls for this woman. He can identify with her. He too is an outcast. In fact, he's called a Samaritan by the Pharisees later on. So he can can identify with her and he starts to look at her. And I just imagine as he talks to her that she sees something's different about him. Church, here's what we need to see, that Christ is sitting in front of us today, and he can identify with us. In fact, the book of Hebrews tells us that he was tested in every way that you and I are tested, and he can identify with us. He knows what's going on in our life. He sees the good things and the bad things, the the pretty things and the ugly things, and he says, I have a gift for you. Now, this woman's reply is very interesting when he offers her the gift. The woman says, you want to give me living water? You don't even have a bucket, dude. How are you going to get water out of this well? Typical man, right? Trying to help me. He can't even get his own stuff together. It's like, you don't even have a bucket. Plus, this well's been here since Jacob. A lot of water has come from here, buddy. He drank from it. His sons drank from it. We even water our animals from here. How could you do better than this? That's the question a lot of us ask for Jesus. When he says, I have a gift for you, I have living water, you're like, I've tried everything. I've done everything right, I've done everything wrong, nothing seems to help. How can you have something better than what I have already had in my own life? 
But yet she was missing the spiritual significance of what Jesus was saying. He was offering her more than water. And we too struggle to miss the significance of what Jesus is saying. How could the gift of God be better than what's our own? And the answer is this. We'll never understand the gift of Jesus until we understand what the real need is, which leads us to our second thing I want to show you. If we can't identify the gift, the second thing is we have desires that we cannot identify. We have desires that we cannot identify. We can only recognize the gift when we recognize the identity of the desire within our own hearts. Start in verse number 13. Let me read this to you. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will spring up a well of living water of eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I don't have to become thirsty and draw water again. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you're right in saying you have no husband for you have had five. And the one you're with now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Now, this woman desired living water, but she didn't know that that's what she was desiring. She was unable to identify the true source of her desire inside of her heart. Therefore, she was not able to see the gift when it was in front of her. All of us have winds of desire inside of our heart, but very rarely do we understand the source of those desires. And as a result, we look to get a fix for those desires in all the wrong places, and it leads us into trouble. Let's put it on a small, low-hanging fruit thing. How many of you have ever had buyer's remorse for something you've purchased? Right? You had a desire. I want a new TV. So you go to the store to buy a new TV, and the one that's $500 in the middle would be perfect. But man, if I get this one over here, it's 6K, 8K, 20K, whatever it is. Like, this thing is really nice. Like, this TV over here sucks, but this one, look at this. It's only $2,000. That's no big deal. I just got a stimulus check. I can afford this, right? (laughs) So we buy it, and we take it home, and then we instantly regret our decision. What happened? We had a desire inside of our heart, and we didn't recognize the source of it, so we missed the gift that's exactly what happens in our life so many times. So in this moment, what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to expose the thirst and the source of her thirst in her life. Because until she understood that she was desiring living water, she was never going to see that Jesus was the gift. You will never see Christ as a gift in your life until you recognize that you have a spiritual thirst. When you understand the source of your spiritual thirst, you are going to then look to Christ to be the source. If you don't, you're going to consistently look for hack after hack after hack after hack. And it's going to be a hack, and it's going to leave you feeling like a hack. This woman desired a heavenly bridegroom, but she did not know that. You might desire spiritual peace, but you look at it in escaping in life, bailing out on your responsibilities. You might decide, desire security but you look for it in control. You might desire joy, but you look for it in pleasure. We could go on all day, but you get the point. Some of you might have wondered, why would anybody want to be a Christian? I've been coming to church for a while. I've been hearing all this stuff. I don't understand why anybody would want to do this. The reason why somebody would want to be a Christian is because they now identify the source of their desire, and it's for the living water. And they realize that only Christ is able to meet that need. 
And until we recognize that Christ is the only one that's going to be able to meet that need, we're going to consistently run from one thing to another, to another, to another. Living water is Jesus himself, and we need Jesus. If we realize it or not, we all desire Christ in our life. A lot of people are really dissatisfied when they achieve their dreams. Here's a perfect example. Most of us today make more money than we did when we were 16 years old. And if we told our 16-year-old self how much money we make today, we'd think, man, we will be rich when we get there. Except we're here today and none of us feel rich. Why? Because we've achieved the dream, but it's left us desiring more. We didn't find what we wanted on our own. And spiritually speaking, that's the same thing. We can continue to try all these experiences and all these things, but that desire is not placed properly and we're looking for Christ. Now, here it raises some interesting questions. If Jesus is the living water, then how's he living water for you and living water for me? Well, through Jesus' death, we have salvation for our sins. We have hope instilled through us through the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the hope of heaven. Through Jesus' death, we have healing for our bodies. Through Jesus' death, we have freedom from shame and guilt. Through Jesus' death, we have provision and no need to worry. Through Jesus' death, we're filled with his spirit that brings life and love and self-control inside of our heart. Through Jesus' death, we're brought into the family of God and we're gifted and we're commissioned for a purpose. That is the supply that's inside of every single one of our heart. And that supply never dries up. When you realize that the spiritual source brings you everything you need, and then when you realize that the spiritual source never dries up, it changes everything about your life. That water is there on your best day and your worst day. That water is there when you started in your marriage and when someday it ends. It's there at the highlights and the low parts. Jesus laid all this out, and yet the woman still struggled. She says, sir, give me some of this water so I won't be thirsty and have to come draw water again. She's still struggling to understand. So Jesus flips the script. He says, hey, go call your husband. And in this moment, Jesus is revealing that he knows her past. He's not passing judgment upon her. He's simply saying, look, I need you to see I know exactly where you're at, and I have what you need. So the woman catches that Jesus is more. And so she decides to test Jesus. Is this just another religious teacher trying to sell me a bill of goods? And so she asks them a question. Hey, where are we supposed to worship? Now, see, this was a test. Because for Samaritans, they got sick and tired of Jews because Jews were consistently trying to get them to live more like Samaritans. And so she's testing him. Is this guy trying to sell me something? Is he trying to get me to buy into what he has? And in this moment, Jesus answers her and says, no, no, no. You think you know, understand about worship, but this water that I have that I want to give to you comes through spirit and truth. You accept it by the truth, by knowing that, that the Father's who you need. You don't need these men. You need the Father. You don't need a, another hack in life. You just need the Father. When you accept that truth and you understand that you're a sinner and that you can't do it on your own and you come to God and you say, God, I know the truth that you died for me and you rose again. That's the moment that you're brought in. That's the truth part. But then the spirit part rushes in where God fills you with your spirit. He does these things inside of you. He starts to transform your heart in a way that you and I don't understand. And in that moment, that's the type of worship that the Father is looking for. Now, Once we see that Christ is the gift, and once we see and identify that our desire is only fulfilled in that gift, then we can understand we can live with a purpose. And I want to close with this if the worship team wants to come back. The third thing I want to show you is this. We have a potential that we cannot identify. 
The change in this woman is amazing to me. This woman leaves her jar. She hasn't even drawn water yet. She found something more important than that water that she came to that day to find at the well. She found the Messiah, the living water. And this moment changes her life. Notice how this woman's life is instantly changed in this moment. She hid back part of her past with Jesus. Now she has this encounter with Jesus. The guilt and the shame is gone. And what does she do? She runs and tells all the town people, come meet the man who told me everything I ever did. And the past she hid from people. Now she's running towards people. There's an internal and an external change in her life in this moment. What happened? She found living water. And when that living water hit her veins, it ignited a purpose inside of her, and she needed everybody to know what had happened to her. Now, John is notorious for putting small details inside of his gospel. There was a small detail that he said at the beginning that we can just glance over. John said at the sixth hour, Jesus sat down at this well. Now that's really interesting to me because the conversation, Jesus said, I am living water. Six hour living water. What's really interesting to me is that on the cross, Jesus is crucified at the sixth hour of the day. And after he had died, a Roman took a spear and punctured his side. And chapter 19 of John tells us that blood and water flowed from Jesus' side. Now, we don't want to make too much of a deal of this parallelism of that, but I find that pretty interesting if it's me. Jesus says, I am living water. At the exact same time of the day in which he's telling her I'm living water, a couple years later, he's going to die on a cross at the same time and water is going to flow from his side. What does that tell us? Jesus is the well of water. Because his blood flowed at that cross, your soul can be satisfied. The desire that you have in your life for salvation, for healing, for restoration, for an infilling of his spirit, for freedom, for the big things in life is met at the cross. But it's not just the big things at the cross. It's also the small things at the cross. It's those moments that we weigh awake at night desiring for our kids to be okay, but we're worried that they're not going to be. It's the small things in life where we're looking and say, man, I, I'm hearing bad reports that they're about to have layoffs at work. Am I still going to have a job? All these things can start to suck up the spiritual moisture in our life. And in that moment, we need living water to continue to flow from us. See, what Jesus is pointing this woman to is not a hack. He's pointing her to the cross. And that's where the reset comes in for every single one of us. And some of us need a reset today. You know, what's really interesting is, and I don't say this as a joke, but Charity's technologically challenged. She struggles sometimes with her phone. And she comes to me and she says, hey, my phone ain't working. And what do I tell Charity every time? Turn it off and turn it back on. A reset. A reset. And now when I screw up and I can't get my phone to work, she's like, you turn it off, turn it back on? I was like, yeah, thanks for being smart. <laughs> a reset. I believe that there's a lot of us in this room this morning that can identify with this woman. We need a reset. We're thirsty and we don't know why. It could be big, it could be small, 
We've tried the hacks. They don't work. We need living.